You're listening to Drisha Vichakira, the Drisha Chavruta podcast. Welcome to our Beit Midrash. Hello and welcome to the second episode of this series. Uh, I'm here, my name is Samuel Liebens, and I'm here with my two uh, study partners. Tzvi Blanchard. Devorah Steinmetz. Last episode, we looked at a text together from Baba Batra about building a gatehouse and whether or not that's a good thing because it might keep people out. And we thought we would move on to a text that talks about uh, a poor person coming to the gate, which seems to be a kind of trope among uh, a number of Talmudic stories, stories about the poor person at the gate. So this is a Gemara from, this is in the Talmud in Tractate Shabbat. Um, and I'm just going to read the story before we discuss it. So the story goes like this. Rabbi Akiva Hayele Barata. Amrilei kaldai hahu yoma da alyalave gnana tarik la khivya umita Rebekiva had a daughter and a Chaldean astronomer said to him that on the day that she goes up to her chuppah to get married uh, she will be bitten by a snake a snake will bite her and she will die Hava de iga amilta tuva hahu yoma shakalta la mahbanta datsta baguda it rame itiv de Rabbi Kiva worried about this a great deal. And on that day, the wedding day, she took a comb out of her hair, or a brooch out of her hair, and she placed it in the wall. It happened that it pierced the eye of a snake. Latsafra ki ka shaklala in the morning when she got up. Have a kasarech va'ate chivya batra. She she dragged the comb out of its or the brooch out of its hiding place, out of its place in the wall, and um, a snake came out on the end of it. Amala abua mayavad amale befanya ata anya kra abava. Her father said to her, "What did you do?" She responded that yesterday. A poor person came, calling at the gate. Vahavuturide kule alma besudata, veleke deshmae. And it was the case that everybody was um, um, engaged in in um, the matters of this meal, preparing the meal. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Exactly what was going on, and nobody heard. Nobody heard the poor person calling at the the gate. Kaemna shakalti liristanai. I got up and I took the portion that had been given to me and I gave it to him. Amala mitzvah avadit. Nafak Rabbi Akiva v'darash utstaka tatsil mimavet. He responded to her, you did a good deed, you did a mitzvah. Rabbi Akiva went out and expounded, he taught the lesson that tzedakah, charity, can save a person from death. So, what should we? What are our responses to this text? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, it strikes me that this is, um, you know, really a liminal moment. Um, it's, uh, it's in the evening of of, of her wedding night. Uh, it's a sort of interstitial space between her her childhood and her adulthood, between her being a, the daughter of Rabbi Akiva and uh, a married woman, the wife of someone else. Um, and um, 
and she's the only one who can hear. She's the only one who notices this poor person at, at the gate. Um, so it's 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 curious right, that it's one might think that she's the person most engaged in the uh, goings on and would be the person least likely to notice this poor person at the gate, and yet uh, everybody else is is preoccupied. And there's something about this moment or about this person, um, maybe quite counterintuitively, that enables her to be the the only person who is able to hear this poor person at the gate. Is it counterintuitive? I mean, certainly on one reading, you think, well, it's all about her this day. How how strange that she should be the only one attentive to hear. Alternatively, it, so on that reading, she would be presented as a um, exceptional young woman because she is attentive in a time where most people wouldn't be on a day that's supposedly all about her. Plus, she she gives her own portion. I mean, she could have gone looking okay, for food for her without giving her own portion. Alternatively. Is the is the story suggesting that that it's because she's in this liminal space that she's attentive, and then it's nothing particularly special about her, but it's something special about this transition that makes her more attentive. Yeah, yeah. I guess I was wondering, I was wondering that myself. Is it about this girl who's you know being presented as so unusual, or is there something about that moment that the text is suggesting to us enables a kind of a sensitivity? Uh, or, or awareness of, of the other um, that maybe no other moment would allow. So um, This is taking place bef- before she actually gets married, right? Well, they're they're preparing the meal, and everybody's busy <laughs> but her. Then, then this event occurs. Then she gets married. Then she puts it into the wall, and then in the morning discovers the dead snake. Right, so, that's, so, so that's not clear, right? The language used um, is that everybody was... Tride bis udata was occupied with the meal. Now, the the tirda there could be uh, tirda in the sense of uh, preoccupation because you're so busy, uh, and that would explain why she's the only one who's not busy with it. She's not preparing her own wedding feast. She's hanging out waiting for right. <laughs> for the wedding to transpire, and, then, and, and everybody else is so busy, and so they can know, but 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 she's available to hear. Another possibility is that uh, tride, you know, preoccupied, uh, doesn't necessarily mean in terms of being occupied in the sense of working at something, but being preoccupied in the sense that you're occupied in doing something, meaning everybody's eating the meal. That kind of leads to two different readings. According to the first reading, everybody's busy, but she is not busy because she's not preparing the meal, uh, and therefore she's she can hear it. Whereas the second one would suggest they're actually all in the middle of the wedding meal, mm. and 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 she and she hears that. And there's more. I mean, traditionally, there's more than one me- wedding meal. Then the nuptials last for you know. There's a sequence of of wedding meals, right? So because the, the reason I raise this is. When is she going to bed and retiring and putting this comb in the wall and then waking up? Is that on her wedding night? She's had the wedding night. She's become, so to speak, this woman. This woman. She's had this. This that night is a night of tremendous transition. She wakes up in the morning and and pulls out the comb and sees that she's been saved. And then when she's talking about the meal, she's talking about the meal that had happened that night. Bifania, right? Oh, I see. Yes. 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 Right. Yeah. Yes. Presumably, the snake is there waiting for her on her wedding night. wedding day or on a wedding night because that's what the Chaldeans predict. And and you know what's interesting about the story is that there's no denial of the notion that she might be vulnerable. Uh, to this predicted right. fate, um, right? The 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 idea of the story is that even though right, she is vulnerable um, to this thing that is fated for her, nevertheless her actions save her from that, which is something that we might want to talk about. But I think um, I, I think it's pretty clear 
that the snake is waiting for her, you know, at that right. very moment that she enters into um, in, in, into the marriage. I can't help but think midrashically and symbolically. I mean, the snake is the snake that we're familiar with from the Garden of Eden story. And she's going to get married, and that's an introduction to adult sexuality, mm -hmm. right? And what's going to happen is, will that be the kind of sexuality which is essentially Zohama, the kind of pollution of being totally self-concerned? What happens instead is that she kills the snake. Mm. The snake doesn't kill her. She kills the snake, which means she sh she slays this kind of individually focused, this anochiut, this individually focused kind of sexuality that doesn't leave room for attending to others. And when, when she kills that snake, okay, because she's she kills it, it seems to me it means that she's she has already slain that self that self concern. She, and what so the tzedakah is is the recognition of the demands of others that people don't hear when they're self concerned that she does hear because she's not self concerned. And this notion, if it's if it's at the wedding at the wedding night. The, the, what, and, and Teridia means that they're, they're busy eating the meal rather than they're busy preparing the meal. Right. Then everybody is involved in this kind of gluttonous self-satisfaction yeah. of food. Whereas this woman, who this young woman, who who has just been awoken to, or is about to be awoken to the the um, the, the pleasures of sexuality, she's not. Uh, closed off to, but not I, not not yet. Not I mean, really I I want to I want to share I want to share something that was written by um, Arie Lone, who has uh, actually wrote his master thesis about um, stories in the Talmud about poor people at the gate, um, and he um, actually gets at something that Svi you were saying, uh, which is this this image uh, this image of the Garden of Eden, and he says I'll I'll just read this in translation. He says. The moment before she is about to taste from the tree of knowledge and be chased from the Garden of Eden, the narrator takes her outside to the silence of the night. There, far from the, the din of the rest of the people who are eating, the narrator has her meet up with this poor person. And then I'm skipping. Uh, Elone says, um, by the next day, when she will retell these events to her father, and and that is interesting, right? That the story actually only tells us what happens in retrospect. It doesn't right. tell us while it's happening, right? It tells us what happens through her voice on the next day. So what Elon says is the next day she will begin to understand that this was um, a ritual of departure from the world of childhood. Um, and what he suggests is that, you know, as she is, you know, in this transition from um, kind of the innocence of childhood to adulthood, um, she will never be able to do this again, that it is that very moment of childhood that enables her to have um, this um, kind of innocent uh, imagination of being able to address anybody's problems. And he ends by saying, and, and, and I, thought, I think this is a very challenging statement, but also very true, he says, from the next day, meaning the day she retells the story, from the next day on, she will un understand that there is absolutely no possibility to give her own portion to every poor person, right? She will quickly find out what everybody has come to understand, which is that the poor person is outside and we are inside. I don't like That's that a great line. I mean, it's a great line, but I don't like it. <laughs> right. I mean, one of the reasons I don't like it is because as Svi told the story, the snake is dead. Right. The snake is so dead. The, so the question is, there's always. The, so, so the question is, um, 
how to understand the symbolism of the snake right is it that so to speak every sexual encounter is its own snake so then there's a snake lurking in every in, in every bedroom wall every night or, or is this this one snake that she slaughtered um and and certainly on on Svee's reading and it is this again comes back to this question is she an exceptional woman or is this an exceptional time on Svee's reading, she killed the snake. Right. So she's an exceptional woman. This is something that not that most people aren't able to do. This is something that everyone else at the meal is just gluttonously feeding themselves, uh, um, feeding their own desires, and she's sensitive to the needs of another because she's killed the snake. Um, alternatively, no, she's she's only killed that snake, and there's a snake waiting for her every night, you know, and she'll never be able to do it again. Right. So let me bring in another story um, about somebody who kills a snake. Uh, this is a, a story from Tractate Brachot um, about Hanina ben Dosa. And the story goes like this. It's not, it's not, I don't know if it's a snake or some other kind of reptilian creature. Um, it's called an arud. Um, so the story says that one time in a certain place there was this reptile uh, which was harming people. So they came and they told Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. He said to them, show me its hole, right, the hole to its lair. They showed him the serpent's hole. He put his heel on the entrance to the hole. The serpent came out and bit him. And what happened was that the serpent died. Right. So Hanina Mendoza puts the serpent over his shoulder. He brings him into the Beit Midrash and he says to them, look, my sons. It is not the serpent that kills, rather it is sin that kills. At that moment, they said, woe to the person who is bitten by the snake, but woe to the snake who meets up with Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. <laughs> now this, of course, gets to what Svi was talking about before, right? This is the primordial snake, right? Of course, it bites him on his heel, right? Of course, Which we recognize that right back to the original story. It goes right Genesis. back to what God says to Adam after the sin of eating of the fruit of knowledge, right? Which, as Avalon said, this girl is about to do. Um, and um, and uh, God says to the to the serpent, um, there will be en- enmity between you and the human being, right? Uh, he, the human being, will uh, step on you, right? And you will bite his heel, right? So he is bitten. Rebbechini Mendoza is being bitten by that primordial snake. But lo and behold, it's the snake that dies because Rebbechini right. Mendoza, as someone who apparently uh, is, is, is sinless, or at least at that moment is sinless, uh, is, is impervious to the, to the bite of the snake. So I think, you know, the snake is not just about sexuality. It's about humanity. As the Gemara says elsewhere, there is nobody uh, who doesn't sin. As Kohelet says, there is nobody who doesn't sin. By which I mean not just a specific sin you have violated one of the 613 commandments, but it is the condition of, uh, of, of, of humanity to be limited, to be mortal, to be vulnerable. The question is what feature of humanity? I mean, in this period, when you use the snake image, it seems to me you're drawing on the picture of Zohim, of this kind of pollution that occurs that's associated with sensuousness. Sexuality is one experience of it, but that sensu- the sensuous nature of the human being draws on a certain kind of self-concern, the limit of our perception of things, and that's where sin comes from. If you think that way, okay, he also puts his... The snake, he the sn- he can kill the snake the way she can kill the snake because they do not have this anochiut, this focus on the self, this exclusive focus on the self, which is the source of 
sin. But I don't think it's independent of this kind of sensuous nature of human beings. That's what the change is. And the image of, but remember the image. I mean, think of what she she undoes her hair. Okay, that's really what she's taking off this the, the, the thing that's holding her hip to let her hair flow down. That's clearly a sexual image. And without thinking, she sticks it into the to the wall. She pierces the snake at exactly the same time and kills the snake. Okay, so his image is he just puts his foot down into the hole and says, "Let's see how tough you are." <laughs> and it, it can't even begin to. It just dies trying to. The, the, the eights are her. The, this evil inclination just dies trying to bite the guy. She's a, I like her image much better than his. He sort of says, you know, when you come in contact with me, you're going to die. She says, I kill you off. Wham. Just like that. Actually, she, just, she has no clue. Right. right? But, but that's what she's actually doing right. without being but aware of it. But she has right? no clue. And that lack of self-consciousness, which you picked up on, I, I, I think, right. Lauren picked up on, is also a kind of a feature of childhood. This is not someone right. who goes out and says, I have heard the call of justice. The poor man is crying at the right, gate. Exactly. It is my job to take on that role of justice that we talked about last time at the gate. No, she hears this guy. Maybe she's not hungry. Maybe she is hungry. We don't even know if she really wanted that portion. I mean, who really eats at their wedding anyway? Right? She gives him her portion. That's it. There's, it's something incredibly unselfconscious. Right. Um, it's just a meeting of these two people, and she has no clue that she's fighting off the snake. We don't even know if she knows what the Chaldean said. Her father's worried about it. We don't even know. Whereas she the other story that's just premeditated, I'm going to go out and kill the snake. And it's interesting, how, right. how does he do it? How does he do it? It's a strange... He puts his foot at the, ho- at the hole, and then what happens to the snake? snake, snake, snake and bites him and dies. And, and, and the snake, and the snake, and the snake dies. dies. Right. Now, I'm, I'm wondering... This is, uh, is this a zero-sum game? It's yeah, yeah, that's, that's right, <laughs> right. That's right. It's right. a very risky way. But also... Um, there's this notion there's a rabbinic dictum I can't remember where it first comes up no 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 a different a different different dictum that's what I was thinking (laughs) that's exactly what I was thinking which is which is if 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 a if a mouse if a rodent gets into your storehouse don't blame the rodent blame the hole right Uh Uh and and that and that that's a dictum that can explain this rabbinic notion of making a a, a gadarim and making gazarias making uh, um, fences around the law to stop us from Mm. from this is idea that that we have these so to speak holes um, where the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, can penetrate our uh, our defences. There's an interesting idea that this rabbi comes and puts his foot in the hole, and I wonder if there's this notion of somehow I'm I'm going to I'm at the level of the allegory. I'm wondering as a notion I'm going to do. Um, so I'm going to engage in self-examination and see where are my weaknesses. Where might the snake come out? Where might, where might the, the, in, the, in the other metaphor, where, where might the, 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 the rodent get in? And I'm going to put my foot in the hole. And either it will kill me or I'll kill it. Yeah, if I were using a, Hasid, a lot of Hasidic material, the foot dancing is a displacement from the phallus in that material. Okay, meaning that the images of the phallus in the mystical literature okay, gets displaced onto the foot. This famous story about the daughter of the Baal Shem Tov marrying the guy whose shoe came off while mm-hmm. they were dancing. Mm-hmm. So in that, if you think of it that way, he puts his foot, which is a displacement from the phallus, into the hole, which is the vagina, where the sexuality is raiding, and he kills the snake, meaning that all sexuality just falls apart in front well, of him. the image of piercing an eye is also... You no know, no question. She take, and, and, right, and, and, the, the, and on the very... And the very night on which she is going to be penetrated, in fact, with, like you said, in her naive innocence, she penetrates the snake instead of being penetrated by it. You see, that's interesting that she does it in her innocence. So the, that, that's a, a stark difference between these two texts, is, is, 
is um, whether there was premeditation in the killing of the snake. Was this was this fluke? Was this some sort of bless? I mean, Rabbi Kiva makes it out like it was a blessing because of um, because of the tzedakah she'd done. Mm-hmm. Is this a, a, a miracle or is there some sort of causal relationship? Because she had stayed open to the other that night, she you know that that was really what did it. It wasn't putting the, the well. Um, it, it, that's one and the same. I think, well, yes, but depend, yeah, so 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 that's red, point. red, yes, but red naively. The idea is doing stalker saves you from from death. So she did stalker. So 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 God did a miracle that happened to be that that act was killing the snake. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the one and the same. Exactly. So, so I so I want to bring in another text about somebody who is much more self conscious about his assertion that he is able to pierce the eye of the snake. Yeah. <laughs> and right. it actually doesn't work very well. <laughs> so uh, this is a story from Tractate Kiddushin about a fellow named Plimo. Mm. And it said that Plimo uh, used to say every day, Gira be'ene de Satan, right? an arrow in the eye of the Satan, who was, of course, seen to be embodied uh, by the snake. Um, so he would say every day, an arrow in the eye of the snake, meaning, presumably, I'm impervious to the temptations of, the, of Satan. So one day which was Yom Kippur Eve, which is interesting because I don't know how far back it goes that the day of the wedding is seen as, as, as Yom, Yom Kippur-like, Kippur. Right. But, but certainly it's a liminal moment, right? It's the evening before Yom Kippur, and as we'll see, this also happens at a meal. So there's a lot of parallels between mm-hmm. these two, two stories. So one time, um, the eve of Yom Kippur, um, the uh, Satan appeared um, like a poor person. I took on the guise of a poor person. He came and he called out at the gate. So the members of Plimo's household brought out bread to this person. And he said to them, what? A day like this? Everybody's inside and I'm left outside? Again, that inside, outside that we've seen. So the members of the household brought him in and they gave him bread inside the house but they didn't invite him to the table. So he said, a day like today, everybody's sitting at the table and I'm sitting by myself. So they brought him and they seated him at the table. So he's sitting at the table and he's all full of boils and scabs and he's doing all sorts of disgusting things. And Plimo says to him, sit properly. Then he says, bring me a cup of something to drink. They bring him a cup, he spits in the cup. Finally, Plimo can't stand this anymore. Plimo yells at him. He says, why are you acting in such a disgusting way? And this person, this poor person, just dies. So then Plimo hears everybody saying, Plimo killed somebody! Plimo killed somebody! So Plimo runs away and he hides in the outhouse. And he's horrified, right, that people will discover that he's the one who maybe will be arrested because he killed this person. And this Satan, in the form of the poor person, comes after him. And he sees that Plimo feels terrible and Satan says to him, so Plimo, why do you talk that way? Why do you always say an arrow in the eye of Satan? So Plimo says, well, what should I say? And, the, and Satan says, well, you, sh- you should just say, uh, may God scold the Satan. Is this something Plimo is being called to, to, to task for being so self-assured that he has it within him to fight the serpent, and not only to fight the serpent, but essentially to to do what ends up happening in, in our story to the serpent, right? To destroy the serpent by piercing his eye. And this and, 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 and Satan says, you don't have to go that far, right? We can we can do this in a little bit of a more of a more moderate way. But what's interesting is here too, right, what makes Plimo vulnerable to the serpent, or to Satan in this case, 
um, is his inability, or his household's inability, and his own inability to actually enable this person to come in. And even when they let him in, right, to really enable him to fully come in, to be at the table, to let him be at the table in the fullness of his weaknesses and vulnerabilities. So there's something going on there, I think, in in terms of, you know, in our story, this utter self-consciousness and just doing what you feel that you ought to be doing, um, as opposed to Plimo, who is so confident that he can fight Satan, and at the same time, really does not have the capacity to be open to this human being. Yeah, I've always had a theory him. about this this story. I I think Plimo was disgusted by the body and bodily things. He found that's what how the Satan gets him is he he emphasizes what Plimo finds really disgusting and hard to control. So Plimo's dealt with it with his hubris is he's dealt with it by saying, I can control the matter, but he's running away from a deep disgust. And the Satan is able to move in on him and be as disgusting. He's spitting in the thing. He's you can see him there with boils on he's like all the reasons that one hates having a being a corporeal existence. Mm. And Plimo and Plimo can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, he kick, essentially wants to kick him out, mm-hmm. and at that he runs off to where to a privy, mm-hmm. the place of the most disgusting feature of human existence, right? What it needs to be eliminated from the human body. The sudden, that's where the sudden can say to him, you, "You're overdone. You're reacting against this kind of 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 disgust. You need to find some kind you of." You have a, to be able to incorporate that. Well, right, you have to incorporate. You have to include corporate being corporeal into how you see the world. You really can't just live off of rejecting me through being disgusted by what you see as my, as my earthly presence. Well, look, I mean, um, um, Rabbi Kiva's daughter kills this snake on a night in which we assume she engages in sexual activity. Right. So she doesn't run away from, from, from physical pleasure altogether. And what's interesting is, if I'm right, yes, I think I'm right, the text doesn't specifically say, obviously we infer and we're right to infer, but the text doesn't explicitly say that the snake is killed. What it says is that she pierced its eye. That's great. Right. Mm. So, so there's a... The, the medieval kind of reading of the snake in 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 the book of Genesis, this comes out I, from from my reading it comes out most explicitly in the commentary of Gersonides, the Ralbag, uh, to to the book of, of Genesis, is that the snake resembles uh, is is a, a symbol for the human faculty of imagination, and the idea that the serpent used to be a walking talking animal with its own legs and arms symbolized that when the human being was created not only did we have eyes for seeing and a nose for smelling and a mouth for tasting and talking and ears for hearing and skin for touching and feeling we had another sense organ don't know what it was a sense organ for imagining and because we misused it in the garden of eden the punishment is that its limbs are taken away from it and what that means on this allegorical reading is that the imagination is um constrained by what we have already seen heard smelled you try and imagine a color you've never seen you you can't do that try when when you imagine something even you know something completely unworldly what you're doing is you're taking things you've seen and heard and kind of recombining them in 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 interesting ways that's the notion of the snake not having now maybe the idea is it's very important for a human being to have an imagination part of being able to be open to the other mm-hmm. is to is to be able to imagine yourself in someone else's shoes it's a huge part of what empathy it's is it's a huge part, part of what empathy is it's a, it's an imaginative exercise right. 
what she does is she doesn't kill the snake on this reading of the snake represents something about being in touch with yourself to the extent that you can imagine being another person um she doesn't kill her imagination she pierces its eye I was wrong. She well, doesn't so, kill so the snake. She so blinds the snake. She blinds the snake. She so blinds the, the snake. The idea is so. So you know, in the third paragraph of the Shema, we have this idea that our our eyes are. You know, sometimes a light can be so bright that it blinds one. Mm. At visual temptations can dominate our, our imagination you know you've seen something tempting or you've seen something it's not possible for you to think of anything else because you've seen that chocolate or whatever it is that you're <laughs> well, lusting that's after the story of the garden right, right that's sees. right she sees and once you've seen something that, that you lust your imagination just can't think of anything else but if somehow you're able to blind the eye of the imagination without killing the imagination you still have this faculty for, for imagining but it doesn't get led astray so I, I, I recognise that it's very unlikely that when the Talmud was thinking about the snake they were thinking about this med medieval notion of an imaginative faculty but I think you can put these things together and, and, and get a really interesting reading which is to say she's in touch with herself she can have pleasure she can have but she's also able to imagining be, imagine being another person which is what the which is what um, Plimo is is not able to do really right so that that's very interesting in, in in a way i think you're raising the you know the whole notion of seeing you know so often in the biblical text from the story of the garden of eden mm -hmm. on um seeing is is um in the nature of violation they see and they take right so eve sees and she takes and the egyptians see sarah and they take her and you, you know the the b'nai elohim those quasi-divine figures see the human women and they take them and, and that seeing is so often um, a violation and at the same time of course seeing is essential uh, for us to be able to, to see the other and the whole question of how how we ought to see really and is, to see is, God. is what you're and, and to see right, God because we have this we even saw the sounds at Har Sinai mm -hmm. right? if, at mm -hmm. the, the visual yeah, synesthesia was, there was synesthesia, synesthesia. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yes you, you need you need vision to see the other both divine and human so can this young girl, you know, I, I brought this Ari Elon text before, you know, his claim is that if we want to use this language of seeing, she will never be able to see that way again. Or even if she sees that way, that seeing will be tempered by a different kind of a realization of the limitations of our capacity to be of help to others. So do you agree with that? No. Or do you I think, think, think that's retain? true? So, so that's why I'm so asking. On, on can she reading, retain that scene? Just to make sure I've understood it, right? On his reading, the idea is she did this act of charity before she'd slept with her husband. And she put the, and she put the, the brooch into the wall. <clears throat> Figuratively or literally killing a snake, or and blinding and blinding it, or maybe right. not killing I it. I think you're right. But, it's a blinding. But she did all that before she slept with her husband, and once she's eaten of the fruit of knowledge, she'll never be able to do this again. That's the reason. I, I don't think for him it's so much, and I, I would have to reread the whole the whole thesis to 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 say this, you know, to give him credit more accurately. But I, I don't think it's so much about her sleeping with her husband. I think it's that notion of um, childhood to adulthood. Okay. Of, of 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 the of the innocence, you know, it reminds me of you know I, I've lived in New York my whole life, and uh, raised a bunch of children in New York, and had a school for young children in New York, um, and there's there's that moment when as a parent you're walking you know with your two year old, and the two year old sees somebody lying on the street and says you know why is that man lying on the street, and you know 
part of you wishes they hadn't seen it because now that they've seen it, they've been ushered into a world in which those things happen and you need to address it and we don't know how to address so it. I, 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 hold on a second. <laughs> right. And that two-year-old or three-year-old or four-year-old or five-year-old might say, why don't we bring them home? And the adult in you says, wouldn't that be great, but we can't do that. For any one of a number of reasons, because it's not safe, because it might be of dubious help to them, because it might interrupt my ability to run my family the way I want, or because even if I could bring that person home, what about all the other hundreds of thousands of homeless people in New York? I think that's what Alone is saying, that the child in her is not asking those questions. The child in her is responding to the immediacy of the person in front of her, who she's not only able to see, but she's able to actually feel that she can respond to. But as she enters into adulthood, she comes to understand the limitations of, of being a human being. I, th I think that's what you say. So I don't think it's the sexuality per se. No, so that resonates with me more, but I, and I'll tell you why, but I'll also tell you why I don't like it and why I think that the text uh, is, is, is more ambitious than that or more optimistic than that. So the reason it resonates with me is because before my wife and I had children, we would take many, many more risks in terms of the good that we would do. This is about poor people at your gate. Mm -hmm. right. We had a spare bedroom in our apartment in London before we had children. And we, we'd make sure the spare bedroom was being used by people who didn't have shelter. You know, that was something we could do. Strangers, complete and utter strangers. As soon as you have children, you don't feel you can do that anymore. So, so if, if the point is it's about growing up once you're an adult, and this isn't about sexuality, it's just about the responsibilities or whatever it is about adulthood, it resonates with me, but only partially. Because as, as I understand it, what's happening in this story, especially if we, we like this idea that she's blinded the snake, but we're not explicitly told that she's killed the snake, is that she manages to stand out on her wedding night, a night that's all about her, and enjoy what it is to be married and to have this, this, this intimacy with her husband without being blind, without being blind in one sense or other, to, to to other people I think that there may be a type of life in which it's specifically because you have a healthy sex life and healthy adult responsibilities and that you're able to be more compassionate not less I since being a, a parent I cry at every film because I always see the, the uh, parent-children, father-children relationships, and, I, and I'm, I can't bear to see things on the news that I used to be able to watch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, that's a change in me because of, of growing up. So on the one hand, maybe I'm less able practically to extend a, a hand in, in, in charity. On the other hand, I think I'm much more able to empathize than I ever was before I'd grown up, mm -hmm. before I had a wife. And you want, and, and also you come to know God through that, the carnal metaphor of God and, and humankind, God and Israel, a man and wife. You, le you learn so much. I just don't want to say that the wedding night for her is the end. And I, I, think, I, I think there are hints in the text that it's not the end, that she's managed. I would like to sanitize the text too, but before I do that, okay, <laughs> the psychologist me pushes back. There's a very famous passage in Vayikra Rabbah. In in the in the in an agotic source that you talk we talked about last, that um, where the a verse in the Psalms is interpreted as David saying, um, he says, "My father and mother abandoned me, but God gathered me." So there, inter he in, it's interpreted as 
Um, did my parents have in mind my coming into the world? No. He had he turned his head this way. She turned her head that way. Uh, after the climax, they turned away from one another. Right. And or maybe the there's a certain um, there is also a sense in which human sexuality tends to focus away from that. So and that the eyes that are the the um, the middlemen of desire in 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 the Shema, who go out seeking to find those things, they're they're going they're looking for a good deal. It means that people look and they see the way she did at the tree. I don't think we should push um, push it out, especially about this text, which is about wedding nights. Okay, and the innocence to a certain extent is captured in this image. I grant we're entitled to expand that innocence and that temptation to be more than just sexual temptation. There's no question that there's a part of me that wants to go with you to say, yes, in a healthy, just like I'm a, I'm a modern person too, and there's a healthy sexual life, makes people even more open to each other. But the reality is that sexual dysfunction is constant in human life, even among people that are living happily together. And this is not a strange situation. There's a constant strain. It's the part of us we have trouble dealing with. It's a symbol in many ways of how the human imagination creates distance between people and creates selfishness. I agree with you that imagination is a feature of this. Um, but when she puts that, that, that uh, pierces the eye of and blinds the snake, I think of Oedipus who tears out his eyes because all human sexuality gets me in the wrong place. I don't know enough to, to do it right and how that operates. But I've watched enough... Before me, I watched enough teenage parties, okay, to know that 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 human sexuality is a very difficult. That snake is very real. But this is a more optimistic text. I just see this, I as, a, I see this as a more optimistic yeah. text, which is to say that here and 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 we come back to this question: Is she a special individual, or is this a special time? And on my reading, that she's a special individual. She is somebody who manages to find a balance in which she can keep this imaginative and sensual faculty alive, and yet blind it. And that's to say, have it constrained such that she utilizes her imaginative faculty to do what Plimo can't do and put herself in somebody else's shoes. Like I say, that's a that's an imaginative achievement. And and maybe that's that uh, maybe she's only able to do that because she has struck a balance. Um, You know, I, I think she's a special person. So are we Plimo or are we Rabbi Akiva's daughter? Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Drisha Vichakira, the Drisha Chavruta podcast. To download more of our podcasts and shiurim, subscribe to our iTunes channel or go to www.drisha.org for more online and in-person learning opportunities. Drisha, deep learning, committed lives.